copy of Scripture, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 9 as we continue walking through the Gospel of Luke. And let me just warn you ahead of time, if I look out and I see your eyes are closed while you're wearing a mask, we might have a nurse that comes and shocks you to see if you're suffering from carbon dioxide poisoning or just asleep, all right? So don't go to sleep. It's the moral of the story. Uh, The Gospel of Jesus Christ, written by Luke. This morning, the text, uh, the title of the message is Going in Jesus' Name. That's ultimately what um, ultimately what Jesus is telling his disciples to do and speaking to us uh, about to go in Jesus's name. When we go, we go in the name of Christ, our Savior. You know, if you took a survey and asked people who is Jesus, you would get a range of answers. Even today, you would get a range of answers. Some might say he's a first century religious teacher, religious leader. Some might say he was a prophet of God. Some would say he was a historical figure, but he was really just a regular man. There was nothing special about him. Others might even say he was a fictional or a made-up character. The question of Jesus' identity, though, isn't a new question. It's been around since Jesus was born, since his ministry. And as Christians, of course, we believe that Jesus is God in flesh, we believe that he, he came to the earth and He triumphed over death and sin when He rose victoriously from the grave. We believe as Christians that Jesus is our Redeemer and our Savior. We've already seen the answer to this question that's been raised by Luke several times in this account, in his account of the Gospel. And we come to this passage and we see that Jesus' identity is once again returned to as a topic. So in chapter 9, Luke addresses Jesus' identity three times throughout the entire chapter of chapter 9. And this morning we'll see one place where Jesus' identity, who is this, is addressed. And that's significant because Jesus' identity forms the backdrop of everything in His ministry. And Luke is intent to convey that Jesus has authority, that He actually has God's authority. And so the arrangement of the miracles, even up to chapter 9, are proving this. They reveal Jesus' power, His power over all creation as He calms the storm, His authority and power over demons as He casts them out of the Gerasene demoniac, His power over sickness, even over death. And so Jesus then gives this power, as we looked at last week, He entrusts this power now to His disciples. And He says, go and tell people about Me. Go and and tell them and heal people as you go. And so Jesus actually gives His disciples the power to go and to do these works of healing and to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what he tells them to do. And so the two episodes that we see this morning in verses 1 through 17 highlight this. And so this morning, what I want us to see as we, as we walk through this passage and this text, I, I want us to see that Jesus empowers his people to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God while acting with compassion to serve people who are in need. That's what the passage is teaching us. 
God calls His people to proclaim the kingdom of God and also to act with compassion toward those who are in need. And so I want to invite you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 9. And He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them, and he withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and they welcomed him. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word this morning. As we consider this text, the first point that I want us to consider this morning is the mission of the twelve and the mission of the church in verses 1 through 6. Now, if you recall back in chapter 4, verse 43, in the outset or the onset of Jesus' public ministry, he made a definitive statement. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. And what we see is the purpose that Jesus is calling His disciples to is the very purpose that He Himself has been about since He's begun His ministry and the very purpose for which He was sent, the very purpose for which His ministry has begun. And so the call is to evangelize and serve in His power. That is what He calls the twelve to do. And what I submit to you this morning is this also is the mission of the church, to evangelize and to serve in His power So here, Jesus commissions the twelve to do the very thing that He came to do. Evangelize. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the activity that every disciple of Jesus must take up. And I don't just mean the twelve who become apostles, but I mean every disciple. Everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus, you and me, from the youngest to the oldest, all who claim to follow Jesus and claim that Jesus is Lord, He calls us to proclaim 
the kingdom of God, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this was God's plan through Jesus to implement this evangelism plan, this plan to share the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. So he sent them out to go throughout the villages, what? Proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now don't miss the connection between verse 2 and verse 6. He called them to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Look, verse 6 says, they departed doing what? Preaching the gospel, right? The kingdom of God and the gospel, they are two different words in the Greek New Testament, and this is an equation of those two words. So proclaiming the kingdom of God is telling the good news, right? I mean, this is, this is equating the gospel and the kingdom of God here. And so what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news about God's kingdom. So the disciples are called to go out preaching the arrival and blessing of God's kingdom in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Go and tell people the kingdom of God is here. And demonstrate the kingdom of God is here through healing and with power by casting out demons. The fact that Jesus gave them authority over power, uh, the authority and power over all demons to cure diseases, it, it, it indicates the presence of His kingdom here on earth. The kingdom of God is God's reign, His rule over all things. And so they were to tell and to invite people to come into God's kingdom. If people responded to the good news by turning to God through following Jesus they would enter God's kingdom. You see, the way to enter God's kingdom is through Jesus. And so Luke is saying the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus has power over sin. He has power to deliver humanity from sin, from sickness, from demons, from fear of the unknown, from situations that are beyond our control. Even death. Like the miracles have just shown in chapter 8. These are all the things that Jesus has, has shown His power to, to be over. He has exercised His authority and His dominion and His power over all of these things. And Luke is saying, if He can do that and He entrusts His disciples and gives them power to go and to do likewise, how much more will He do through the church? Think about it. It's not just the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke and Acts. And He's giving us this big story of the founding of the church and the ministry of the church. He even writes Luke and Acts in the sense of, here's all the things that Jesus did while He was on earth. Here's all the things the Spirit has done through the early church. And then kind of ends the book of Acts as to say, now, now what is the Spirit going to do through the church today? So He calls the church disciples to walk in the power of Christ. To exercise compassion like Christ is exercising. And so we're invited, like the disciples, to trust the one who has all authority over all things and all power over all things. The mission of the twelve is clear. Preaching the gospel and serving in the power that Jesus gives them. That is the power to advance the kingdom of God. And this fits with what Luke's gospel speaks. Luke 24, 26, he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name 
to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then at the end, he says here, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending my promise the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed from on high. And then think about what he says now in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. He tells the disciples, the apostles, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the ends of the earth, right? So what's Jesus saying? When the Spirit has come upon you, you will be empowered to advance the kingdom of God. You will be empowered to proclaim the hopeful message of the kingdom. These verses, they become the pattern for Christ's disciples. It's only now, after Jesus' earthly ministry and the ministry of the apostles, we've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us. The Holy Spirit who resides within us as Christ's disciples. So we see the mission of the twelve. Is there any question as to the mission of the church? We too are called to proclaim the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, friends, this is what God calls us to. This is the message of Christ. This is what He has called His church to do. To proclaim the good news of the gospel. But He also gives them some other, stru- other instructions. And, and He's teaching them and He's teaching us to learn to trust and depend on Jesus. Look at, look at verses 3-6. through six. He, he tells them, take nothing with you, Right? And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no, only one tunic. What is this highlighting? He, he highlights their need to depend on God. They need to depend on Him for daily food. Depend on Him for protection. Depend on Him even for a place to sleep. This bag, it's the money bag, and it, 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 it was often used by traveling philosophers kind of to beg for money as they would speak. And so it might be likened to maybe a street performer of our day. And so Jesus is telling His disciples, as you go, just trust in God. He's going to provide. Don't take anything with you. I think sometimes people can take this passage and apply it a little bit too far to suggest that we would go on mission trips without any luggage. And so this is kind of a a one-off that Jesus is telling the apostles. If you look towards the end of Luke's Gospel again, Luke chapter 22, listen to what verses 35 and 36 says to them while Jesus is speaking to them. He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. point that Jesus is making and telling his disciples is that your ministry now in my absence is going to be filled with the spirit and you're going to have to trust God for his provision in verse four he tells them to receive hospitality whatever house you enter stay there and from there depart in other words don't go into a town and then go from house to house to house having these great big welcomes and having these great big feasts stay in one house until you finish your time there and then Depart, he says. And verse 6 records that they did exactly as Jesus had commissioned them to do. They went throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And this occurred over a period of weeks, maybe even months. This wasn't just like one or two days. And so I, I think for disciples, followers of Jesus, this suggests and it, it compels us 
not to minister in our own strength, but to seek to minister in the strength of the Lord. This is why Jesus tells the apostles to wait in Jerusalem until they've received power from the Holy Spirit, power from on high. And so Jesus equips His followers. He equips His disciples to do kingdom work that He calls us to do. So church, I would exhort us and encourage us that Jesus equips you. He equips every one of us to do the work that He has called us to do. You know, we're not equally great with words. We're not equally great with memorizing Scripture. We're not equally gifted with some magnetic personality. In fact, the list could go on and on about what we're not equally gifted with and the ways that we're not equally gifted. But we are all given the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're all gifted with the presence of the Spirit who works in us to accomplish God's purposes and works through us to accomplish God's purposes for His kingdom. Friend, don't doubt God's Spirit within you and how God wants to work in your midst and work through you and in your life. But we have to trust. We have to trust the Lord in the midst of what He's teaching us and how He's wanting to work through us. We must learn to trust and depend on Jesus. And so how is Jesus teaching you to trust and depend on Him? Is there a specific way right now in your life that you sense Jesus is teaching you to trust in Him and to depend on Him? I think one other thing we see in verse 5 for the disciples, for the twelve, but also for the church, is that we're to expect rejection and opposition. It's part of what happens. You know, rejection stinks. No one wants to be rejected, right? I mean, none of us. We don't want to be rejected. But opposition is even worse. When someone opposes you, they, they don't just have a different perspective or position they actually let their perspective and their position be known. They, they actively fight against you. We live in such a pluralistic society that I, I think Christians often fear of being labeled as bigots or even something worse for holding the basic tenets of Christianity. You know, with words that float around like toleration or hate speech, inclusion, pro-choice, and we could keep going with certain hot-button words... The cultural narrative is often framed so that it's insinuating if you hold a different position than the most tolerable one, the most inclusive one, then you're narrow-minded. There's no room for you at the table. The disciples, verse 5, they'll encounter those who reject their message. And notice what Jesus says. In doing so, He instructs them to shake the dust off of their feet as a testimony against them and move on. You know, this is something akin to, this is certainly a, an act of prophetic judgment against those who reject, but it would be like Jewish travelers who are returning from a Gentile or a pagan land. When they get back in, in their territory, they would wipe the dust off of their feet in order to signify they're done with the pagan territory and they don't want it to be part of, uh, they, they don't want it to defile them. And so this was a, an act of judgment that people who reject God's messengers are actually rejecting God. You know, the most recent evidence that I've seen of this kind of a response has been from the LGBTQ community protesting the presence of the volunteer help group Samaritan's Purse in New York City. 
New York City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, he tweeted, It is time for Samaritan's Purse to leave New York. This group, which is led by the notoriously bigoted, hate-spewing Franklin Graham, came at a time when our city couldn't in good conscience turn away any offer of help. That time has passed. Now, admittedly, I have not read all of Franklin Graham's comments or listened to all of his talks to know exactly what has offended Mr. Johnson and what he's referencing. But clearly... Clearly, there's opposition and rejection to a group that has come in, a group who makes no, uh, no issue about their mission, their evangelistic mission in regard to caring for people with the love of Jesus Christ. And I'll submit to you that it's this message of Jesus Christ and the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ that really is a threat to people. People push against it. They want to reject the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. You and I will experience rejection when we are vocal and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Because in so doing, we're telling people, this is the only way to have eternal life. If you put your hope and trust in something else, it's a false sense of, of security. It's a false belief. It's a false God. Scripture is clear. This is the God who we serve, who we profess to follow, who we've committed our lives to. The one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to be sold out to Him and Him only. So brothers and sisters, let us, not, let us not be timid in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us go in the name of Jesus and speak boldly about the God whom we love and serve and the one who loved us even more and served us in an even greater way, who came down and took upon flesh and gave His life as a ransom for many, for all who would profess faith in Him with their mouth and believe in their heart. Let us not cower. God, give us strength not to cower, but to be vocal and to proclaim this good news about Jesus Christ. Verses 7-9 through highlight Herod the Tetrarch. Ultimately, we know that Herod himself rejects Jesus as well. He had heard of all that had happened through Jesus' ministry and even how things had been multiplied through His disciples, the apostles. This word had come back to Herod. He knew that Jesus was having an effect. Jesus' ministry had reached His ears. It had reached all throughout Galilee. And ultimately, Herod wants to see Jesus. And ultimately, he gets to when... Pilate sent him in Luke chapter 23 at the end of the story. But for now, we see Herod asking this question, who is this? Who is this Jesus? Wondering about him. But Luke doesn't leave us hanging in the balance long. We see the mission of the twelve. Here is the mission of the church. And so as we think about the mission of the twelve being the mission of the church. Think about how the disciples and the apostles proclaimed the gospel. 
and ministered in the name of Jesus, and then our call to proclaim the gospel and minister in the name of Jesus. Friends, if, if our preaching and our proclamation, not just preaching in the sense of what I am doing, but heralding the gospel, proclaiming the good news, if our proclamation gives people the impression that the kingdom of God is mainly concerned with promoting a way of life, promoting a feel-good message about how Christ can improve my marriage or improve my finances or improve sex life or improve parenting or improve some job situation, if that is the essence of our proclamation, if our preaching fails and it doesn't bring people to see the answer to the crucial question of Jesus' identity, then why are we preaching? If that is the essence of our proclamation, then our preaching does fail. But if we are bringing people to see Jesus' identity, that He is the Savior and He is the Lord of all, that He is coming in glory to judge the living and the dead, this is the Jesus whom we serve. This is the One who is Lord over all creation. The One who is exalted, high and lifted up. The One who defeated and triumphed over even death. That is the Jesus whom we serve and whom we proclaim. And secondly, this morning, I I want you to see that Jesus invites us to be amazed by what He does and how He works through us. Be amazed at what He does and how He works through us. Look at verses 10-17, through the feeding of the 5,000. You've heard this this story before. You've read through this miracle, I'm sure. In the activity of the miracle and feeding 5,000, we know that it's probably more like 15,000 if you count for every man. There's a wife and a child, perhaps. Wouldn't be uh, outside of the, the, the realm of possibilities, certainly, for, uh, for this grouping of people that are there. And so we see that in this In this story, Jesus is both the supplier and the satisfier of real human needs. It isn't some health, wealth, it's compassion on people, and He looks upon them and He exercises that compassion. Verse 10, the disciples returned telling Jesus all that had happened, right? They, they come back, they're excited presumably about all that they had done, that Jesus had done through them. They've experienced this power at work as they've healed people and proclaimed the kingdom of God, the good news. And so Jesus takes them away to withdraw to Bethsaida. And as He goes there, presumably, as we learn in Mark's Gospel, so that the disciples, the apostles could rest. The crowd learns of it. Perhaps they're in a boat heading across the lake. The crowd learns of it. Mark even tells us that some of them ran and quickly beat them there, recognizing where they were going. And so the, the, the reality is the disciples aren't getting any rest. Jesus is taking them away. But when they get to where they're going, there's a crowd there waiting on them. And so Jesus, in compassion, receives them. And so Luke is even answering the question about who Jesus is as Jesus welcomes people and He preaches about the kingdom of God and He cured people and healed people who needed healing. We could expect that His preaching about the kingdom of God would be like back in chapter 6, verse 20, uh, which mimics or is, is similar to a lot of the things that, that 
Matthew chapter 28, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 8 looks at with the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Plain in Luke's Gospel. And so his teaching must have gone on for hours. Because we even see the disciples say, All right, Jesus, it's getting late. The, you know, the, the day's growing old here. We need to send these people back out so that they can go into the town, they can find a place to, to rest, they can find food to meet their physical hunger. And so Luke gives us here a picture of a Savior who teaches about God's kingdom, who heals the sick, and even provides food for people. They're in this solitary place. Luke tells us that. They're, uh, they're away from a town. It's going to be a few miles journey for the people to get back to town. And, and I think Luke is intentionally painting this picture of of, of people in the wilderness and pointing us to see one who's even greater than Moses. Exodus 16, when God rained down bread from heaven in the, the morning, He brought meat for them, to, or, and in the evening, He brought meat for them to eat. But it's also reminiscent of the prophet Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44, where 20 loaves of bread were brought to Elisha. And he tells his servant to give it to the 100 men to eat. And Elisha said, they'll have some to eat. They'll have some left over. And as they ate and they had some left over, he says it was according to the word of the Lord. And what do we see happening in this miracle? God provides fish and bread. The crowd eats. And then there's some left over after they collected. Jesus had been preaching and healing all day. And the disciples, when they suggest to send the crowd away, Jesus has something else in mind. He's keen to continue teaching the disciples lessons that He's been teaching them all along, which makes me thankful to see Jesus' patience with His disciples. Evidence is patience with us. And in verses 14 through 16, He says something shocking to His disciples. What does He say? You feed them. And they were probably like, huh? Hey, I've got five loaves of bread and two fish here, Jesus. There's no way we can feed people with this. Not unless we go and buy stuff. I mean, there's 5,000 people. Do you see all these people? There's no way. It can't happen. And Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of 50. And as they did, he began in verse 16 to pray. He blessed, he blessed the meal. Sounds Eucharistic even, right? The Lord's Supper. I mean, it reminds us of that in verse 16. It says, he, taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to go and set before the crowd. And so as they do this, they set it before the crowd. They keep coming back to get more. Um, I kind of picture them taking baskets. You know, there's some rock or something that's set up and Jesus has done this before the crowd, and they come back. The disciples just keep coming back. And there's just this endless supply of baskets and bread and fish. Alexander McLaren, uh, an old preacher uh, uh, who's written several commentaries or published several works of his old sermons, he said this about this particular passage. The pieces of uh, fish and loaves grew under his touch, And the disciples always found his hands full when they came back with their own empty. I thought that was an incredible statement and picture of 
how Christ supplies and satisfies the needs of his people. The disciples always found his hands full when they came back with their own empty. Jesus doesn't just multiply the food. Jesus evidences the real power of creation. They all ate, verse 17. They were all satisfied. Luke wants us to see the sufficiency of Christ for for all the needs of life. One commentator said, to teach that God loves sinners means evidencing that compassion in the ability to meet human needs. God does love sinners. Jesus did come to meet our needs. He came to satisfy our deepest need. That is to bring us into relationship with God Almighty. The message of the kingdom of God is that Christ's provision begins with spiritual life and salvation. Jesus gives the bread that satisfies. Have you tasted the bread that satisfies? You know, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. And since it's the case, I think it's, it's significant to note what it says about the kingdom of God and the ministry of God's people. It says that we're to care for one another. Even that we're to be the means God uses to provide for one another. I don't think it's too far to say who disseminated the bread. The disciples. God used them to give out the bread. God used the disciples to meet the need of the crowd. God even used the disciples when Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is how God works in the world. He works through His people. He works through His church. His revelation is clear. He came down in the person, in the form of man. He took upon flesh. And now He empowers His people to go out in His service and to proclaim His kingdom. I think about the way Crosspoint is ministered during especially even these days of pandemic. The opportunities we have to minister, the benevolence needs that have been met within our congregation. Praise God for the giving nature of the Crosspoint body. Uh, The helping of uh, our brothers and sisters overseas from from Fatty to Uganda, I give praise to God. Continue to pray that God would continue to use us to provide. And I say to the church, thank you for being faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so whether, whether we minister through visiting someone in the hospital, through providing meals for a family who's unable to provide for themselves, whether we minister through, uh, through making ourselves available to listen to someone else's emotional trauma that they've walked through, or to spend time with others, to donate time or money to meet physical, emotional needs of others, when we seek to provide what Jesus offers, we bring a picture of God's compassion to those whom we serve. Don't forget that you're the hands and feet of Christ. And as often as we do this and speak about the kingdom of God, we give credibility to the mission of God. We give credibility to the kingdom of God. 
Because we're not only telling people about what Jesus has done, our actions line up with what Jesus has done in our lives and how we are to do that for others. So this morning, who is Jesus? Is He the one who satisfies your soul? Is He the one who has provided for you? Is He the one who is your Savior? And what is Jesus teaching you today? How is He calling you to live for His kingdom? I want to close us in a time of prayer, and then Shane will come and, uh, and lead us in a song uh, as we reflect on what the Lord is saying to us. I invite you to either sing or spend some time in prayer, and, uh, and you respond how the Lord is leading you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you desire to use us as your people like you even use the disciples to go out and to minister in your name. Oh, Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be faithful in proclaiming the good news of your kingdom, of telling people how you transform our lives and give us purpose and meaning. Oh, Lord, strengthen us to never back down from sharing the hope of the gospel. God, continue to lead us and direct us.